0: Thanks very much. I'm George Abernathy, the proud president of FreightWaves, Waves, and I wanted to welcome you to this wonderful Space Waves fireside chat. Space Waves, you know, we at FreightWaves talk so much about, we really almost have the corner on the market of where the intersection is of logistics, supply chain, and transportation, and the use of capital, venture capital, private equity, and deployment of capital. And it And in space, it's really no different, and it's at a point now where I think it's gonna be great to take advantage of somebody who's uniquely positioned and qualified to talk about these areas and topics. So let me introduce Jay Brandt Arsenault. Brandt Arsenault is the founder and CEO of 9.8 Capital, and he's the founder of Space Ventures. Brant is a space and fintech entrepreneur, investor, board member, advisor, and capital markets expert. So, Brant, let's have some fun. Thanks for doing this.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. In fact, when you say unique kind of perspective, um, it's very unique because I, w- I had the, the 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 lucky chance to help Craig out in the early days of freight, in freight waves. And I had this guy call me and said, hey, I have this great idea about getting into the, the freight industry um, more on the technology side and thinking about futures and options and, 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 and risk mitigation tools and information. And I said, oh, I love that. I think that's fantastic. So I helped uh, Craig early on in, in his venture and just so happy to see you guys do, do well. And I kind of had a feeling, hey, when are they going to call me when transportation overlaps with space? Um, because I knew I'd get that call someday. I just didn't expect it this year. I thought it might be next year or the following year. So I'm absolutely delighted to hear, to talk about that intersection.
0: Well, there's a number of us here at Freight Waves that are... Space nerds, space nicks, whatever, including Craig Fuller, Timothy Dooner, who we just heard from. We, we've got a lot of folks who can tell you the difference between uh, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, uh, SpaceX and, and, and going on. So let's talk about that intersection right now. And why don't, why don't we kick it off with um, why don't you talk about um, Space Ventures, your, your, your investments and how and what you do and how you do it?
1: Sure, and I I think my story, there's all kinds of different stories – in the space industry about how people got here and, and why they're here, but there is that common theme. I think most people are quite enthusiastic about it and it's hard not to be. But I actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut and growing up on the East Coast of Canada, you didn't have a lot of access to people that knew about how to do that or or even encourage you because they wanted you to be a lobster fisherman or, or a cod fisherman, which is a great a great way to earn a living, but I wanted to be an astronaut. So I finally found, I ran into some, some family Family members that said hey you need to be a fighter pilot um, test pilot in the United States or, or you need a PhD so I engineered my whole education around being an astronaut so I went and did engineering I got into neural networks I went and did uh, PhD research I did neural networks and I when I came out of that I applied to the Canadian Space Agency still have the rejection letter so um, <laughs> I have that framed very nicely worded uh, they weren't hiring astronauts at the time so I said oh I don't know what I'll do so I, I I went to school in Scotland and I went down to London looking for a job after so many years in research and I answered an advert for um, for uh, a job at the Bank of England uh, using nonlinear stochastic algorithms and, and different mathematical techniques to calculate Basel I Capital. And I said, I don't know what Basel I Capital is, but I know all the math. And I walked onto the trading floor in 1994. And loved it. Absolutely loved it. So it was a good um, consolation prize for for not being an astronaut. And being a good Canadian, I went kicking and screaming to New York City. Uh, They wanted to transfer me to New York. I said, I can't go to New York. I I like living in London. And about three days later, love New York, love J.P. Morgan, love everything that I'm doing there. And I've been there 30 years. Um, So just loved it, loved it. and I, I, I got into a speciality of building trading systems and risk systems and markets. And that's how Craig and I got uh, connected early on, which was quite delightful. Um, and then I started seeing um, in my corporate job off to the side, you know, Elon getting involved. That was great. Uh, but that was kind of a one off. And then Sir Richard Branson got involved in Jeff and and you saw some top-down capital formation of you know wealthy, wealthy people that can, can put money from the top down. And I thought that's interesting. Um, maybe I'll do the same. It's simple, right? You do what Elon did, or Jeff, make a half a billion and get into space and do whatever you want. Um, that didn't exactly work out for me, close, um, uh, but I eventually ran into a very famous Canadian astronaut, Chris Hadfield, and started to- talking to him to get some advice about, hey, how do I make this transition from fintech to space? We had uh, several conversations and I kind of, I boiled it down to two uh, choices. One is jump into a space company and use my years of management experience on technology and and engineering um, or leverage my finance experience. And Chris didn't hesitate. He said, use your finance and business experience. The the space industry is full of really brilliant technicians and engineers and, and thought leaders around the products of domain, but they don't have a lot of experience raising capital. Or, or running companies. And he said, you could really help help with that. So I, um, I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I, I had a chance to exit my last company and I started a company called 9.8 Capital, um, which is an advisory firm helping space companies with their strategic matters, including raising capital. And then I got this great phone call from a, a young chap down in uh, Florida saying, hey, I have a problem I really want to solve, and it's early stage funding for space companies. His name's Aaron Burnett, and there was a a set of laws uh, brought in um, in 2015 called the JOBS Act, which is jumpstart your small business act, which allowed... Um, um, an amendment to the SEC rules of 1933, where the SEC put some things in place in 1933 to protect non-accredited investors. So investors that weren't considered sophisticated investors, we didn't want them to get hoodwinked or taken advantage of again, which a lot of people did during the Great Depression and years after that. So a lot of people feel it wasn't fair that the public can't invest in private equity, but it was put there to really protect them. I I believe that. But uh, over time, it just felt like the rich got richer and, and the have-nots weren't allowed to invest in private equity and they relooked at it in, over the years and came up with this new this act. This act, which allows non-investor, which is the definition in the states, is someone that makes less than two thousand dollars or has less than a million dollars in assets. So the the government really wants to protect that crowd of people, but they put new rules in that said, hey, we're going to allow you to do private equity, uh, but we're going to put some limitations on right, based on your 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 salary. We're going to calculate how much you can do. So space ventures is a new platform that's just being developed and being a, a certified that is going to create the largest community of space investors in the world uh, and list companies there for space investors to invest in. So that's the two companies that I'm involved in. Um, and really, um, you know, trying to look at that early stage capital formation, but there is challenges through the whole value, the capital chain in space. But I don't think it's um, idiosyncratic to space. I think it's just because space is a new industry, that you don't have the VCs well-formed that you guys may know, like your Sequoias and your Bessemers and those funds. Um, they're not really ready for space yet. Private equity isn't really ready for space. The the investment horizon really um, in traditional VC funds are seven to ten years. In space, it could be you know fifteen to twenty. So the LP partners of the VCs, it's not a really uh, good risk reward um, uh, matching for them. So it,
0: it, it's really interesting you talk about that. And actually, one of the uh, interesting things you talk about is getting a rejection letter from a Canadian agency. There's no nicer people in the world than Canadians. So I can't imagine. That must just be the nicely, most nicely written rejection letter. So we'll have to talk about that at some point or or, or let me see that. But when you talk about the private equity firms, like you say, the ones that are, are, uh, you know, sort of right at the tip of our fingers, tip of our tongue, do you expect over time with so much capital that seems to be out there that needs to be deployed, that there will be a migration of some of those brand names into the, uh, the, the the private equity world around around space and particularly in the supply chain in space?
1: Absolutely. In, in fact, some of them are, are creeping in now. So uh, mm-hmm. the note, the Kostler, uh, has a couple of investments. Bessemer has a couple of investments. Right. Sequoia has a couple of investments. One of the big ones is uh, Steve Jurvetson from Future Fund. He has a lot of great investments. He was one of the first investors in both Tesla and SpaceX. Um, you will see that, part of the market, the mid-market VC market, very well-serviced. Um, and it's really about them understanding space and matching the the liquidity points of the space companies with their LPs expectation. The LPs, the limited partners are expecting seven to 10 years. And right now, companies, we haven't had a lot of exit, exits in space yet. Um, they're coming but they're more like 10 to 15 years. So you, you, the, the VCs have two choices, to raise a fund with a longer horizon or wait what I call for space 2.0. So right now what's happening in space, it's kind of, if you go back to, which is not really hard to think about, go back to 1998 uh, on the on the internet. And what was happening? It wasn't it wasn't Priceline or it wasn't Google or it wasn't these big e-commerce platforms happening in 98. It was Corning up in Corning, New York, was trying to figure out how can I pull more glass. Uh, Cisco was trying to, how can I build routers that can route and, and, and do, do a lot of internet routing on five. So that was the infrastructure that allowed 2005 and e-commerce to happen. And I think that's what we're happening in space right now is we're building the infrastructure. So satellites that can do computing. Uh, transportation, lowering the cost of access to orbit, which is happening through a lot of innovation from Elon and and others. and communications, right? We have um, Artemis is a big program by NASA that are sending uh, the, the first woman and the next man back to, to Mars. And that program is going to keep people there. We're going to need a really robust communication network between to, between the moon and Earth. Uh, and then once we get to Mars, um, we're going to need that. So that infrastructure, once that infrastructure is in space, you'll start seeing things like asteroid mining um, and rare metals and things of that nature that the The economy of space, which right now is more things in space adding value to Earth, um, like Earth observation, detecting wildfires a year before they happen, detecting um, pollution, detecting a lot of things from uh, satellites. The next wave of uh, space 2.0 will be an in-space economy, where you have two entities in space doing commerce with each other with really, really no kind of connection to earth that, other than maybe a product going back.
0: Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. That's really fascinating, Brent. So for someone who, you know, likes to pretend as if I'm a bit of a terrestrial supply chain expert, I'm really intrigued with how the supply chain in space will have some obvious differences, but things that I think you'd be able to address for you know, folks like me who are addicted to the supply chain. How, how is the space supply chain so dramatically different from terrestrial?
1: well and, and i'm I'm surprised that i didn't mention it in your last question that is now that 's a big part of space one dot is building up that supply chain in fact, probably one of the most important uh, um, aspects of it um, and, and and you know the, the people that are exploring space right now nasa and and private companies like spacex they're really good at exploration they're really good at pushing the boundaries what they really aren't good at is setting up those commercial Operations of things that you need to just operate every day and get really good at it from an operational perspective, from lowering the risk, and from a cost perspective. And I think that's really where private industry comes in for supply chain. I I think the only industry that can, the the only entity that can do supply chain well, well, will be private industry. Um, And I think that's going to be very, very important. Um, Now. Being in space is going to be new for terrestrial um, um, uh, transportation and freight companies uh, other than just zero gravity. I mean, things that, you know, uh, when, when you're moving something from New York to Cleveland, Cleveland's not moving right? It stays in the same spot. <laughs> so, but when you're moving things from earth to, to, to the moon, um, it's relatively straightforward, but there is a lot of orbital mechanics and, and, and things of that nature that is much more complicated, but getting from, 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 f- f- uh, freight from earth to Mars is very complicated, um, and very, and very, uh, very sensitive to fuel, and things of that nature. Not not that it's not sensitive and terrestrial, but it, it is a whole new dynamics. But I do think, I suspect the names that you see in the freight and transportation uh, industry, and you can see them on, on CNBC every day, you'll see a spaceship with some of those logos, logos wow. in the future, <laughs> absolutely.
0: So, so I'm so fascinated. We, we think about, you know, modes and modality being so complicated here, um, you know, people who can talk truckload may or may not be able to comprehend all the different elements that LTL provides to us. And then you have intermodal, domestic intermodal, and they're like, but now we're talking about, as you said, you know, literally a moving target. So you do think that we'll see some brand names, whether they're you know, J.B. Hunt or ArcBest or Schneider or FedEx, on those cargo rockets as they're as they're um, making their way to their destination
1: Absolutely. In fact, I, I'm surprised, you know, in the science fiction, or not science fiction, but near fiction movies like The Martian that you didn't see, Mersk or UX, U.S. Express on the side of a ship going to Mars, it, you'll see that in, in popular culture very soon. And some of the things that you just mentioned are very, very big topics right now. And, and the space industry, I don't think, use uh, lighter than load. Uh, but a ride share on SpaceX is really big, right, because he, he can get two types of customers. One, you know, uh, um, Starlink, which is his other company, to take the whole capacity of a Falcon 9. But most of the time, it's a rideshare, right? It's lighter than load, and the economics are quite different. Um, and that's what's allowing access to space for smaller companies. I know several companies that are doing small computing in space, and to get their small sat into space is like forty thousand dollars. You imagine in 1970, how much that would have cost? <laughs> That's extraordinary.
0: Now, is that Canadian dollars or U.S. dollars? I'm sorry, that's a little bit, a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> little bit of a shot. But it is remarkable. So, in the um, number of companies, are there dozens, hundreds, of thousands of companies that are working in this direction and and trying to to work in space?
1: A great question, and you, you're probably going to be surprised. So, space ventures—we, uh, that's the platform for investing in private private uh, space companies. We, uh, we also have a tool called SpaceBase, which is supposed to be the crunch space, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and a lot of your 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 audience is familiar with for space. So um, and because we're industry uh, specific, we can probably we add more value and more dimensions to space data. Um, So it's really powerful. We now have 2000 space companies in that database. Yeah. Yeah. And and things like and things like your what you would expect like satellite companies a lot of, there, there's there's right now there's around 5000 satellites in orbit um, believe it or not only around 14 to 1500 are operational the other 3500 ran out of fuel can you believe that? They re- These are billion dollar assets that ran out of fuel, because back in the day, the idea was we're going to send the satellites with all the fuel that they'll ever need. And when they run out, most likely the usefulness of that asset is gone. But what's what we're finding out is all those assets are orbiting the, the Earth right now. And if you had them operational, you would gen- a lot, generate a lot of revenue. So there's this one individual uh, entrepreneur that I'm a big fan. His name is Dan Faber, is going to put the first gas station in space, which is Really related to to your industry, right? I mean, I know fuel um, and power in the in the transportation industry is a big a big variable, a, a big thing to think about. So if you think about a gas station in space now you can kind of change your missions right you instead of launching earth with all the fuel that you need to get to the moon you could take less fuel more cargo more people and stop for some gas in cis lunar and maybe a a hot dog and a coke so it really changes how you operate
0: Wow, I, I, I just hope that I can get a big gulp when I'm uh, out there in space because it, it's a long way to the moon and really, much even longer to Mars. So we haven't talked to very much at all.'re we're, we're talking about the private sector, obviously. but um, I, you're doing some things you know with with Congress to 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 try to address and uh, gain federal support, federal grants, and the like. can you Can you speak to that a little bit around the uh, commercial space industry?
1: Yeah, if I sit back for a second I and you know when I decided to uh, focus on the finance aspects uh, aspect of space I kind of thought about what are the different parts of a financial system required to to uh, innovate and, and fund a whole industry, right? And you need you need early stage capital, you need mid stage capital, you need uh, you're going to eventually need a bank that gives loans out. You're going to need um, you're going to need a commodities exchange. You and I are going to be able to buy a future on moon water in ten years, uh, maybe twenty years. Um, so there's all this infrastructure that's going to be built, and some of it will overlap. With terrestrial capabilities. But one thing that really needed is, we believe, is a development bank. Um, a, a, a government-funded development bank, and I, there's 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 several examples around the U.S. One is an export-import bank that is a development bank. The Tennessee Valley has a development bank. Um, so what we really need is an, a, a, um, a development bank for space, and what we believe that will do is kind of take the volatility out of the transition from a government-funded industry or stimulated industry to a purely commercial industry.
0: So unfortunately, we're coming up on the the clock here, but um, just one question: You're again uniquely qualified to to answer this. How far in the distance are we from regularly scheduled, as you describe, lighter than less than lo- less than truckload, um, being the norm rather than the exception? You know when. When Bob and Doug went up, you know, six or seven months ago, the, the good news was the world, the world came to a, to a stop because we needed good news. And, you know, we, we just sent up another one and the world, the world was so interested. But eventually we'll be sending things up routinely. How long away are we from it being routine?
1: I think we're at the beginning of that. I think we're already there, but just at the very beginning and i we speak I speak to a lot of colleagues in the space industry that like to say, Hey, we want to make this part of space boring where where and we're going to probably uh, miss talking about it with so much excitement but it's 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 very close to around the corner but but we if you if you think about who's doing this right now um Elon and SpaceX is really the major player that's putting uh, lighter than load up there, making access to space for lots of small startup companies quite reasonable. But there's a, a, there's a couple of companies nipping at their, their heels, like Rocket Lab, uh, like Astra, like like Richard and and uh, Jeff Bezos that uh, and then they're the ones that you know the names and I say the names because the audience is going to know them. There's a raft of people behind them. So I think access to space uh, and there's a company called Axiom out of Los Angeles that is going to be the first private space station that you and I could get to. And what I mean by you and I, I mean, there's been a a couple of private space flights and they cost 20, 30, 40 million. I think within our lifetime, you'll be able to go up there for, you know, a a million or two, even to, to, to the moon. And there's another great company that is, it's called Space Perspective. That's creating a high altitude suborbital balloon that I think our, our, our German friend jumped the the highest um, parachute off of, um, and you could go in that capsule with a, a glass of champagne and have a trip for six hours and actually see a perspective of the Earth that isn't that unlike what you would see from the space station. So and I'm told by some of my astronaut friends that view of the Earth is quite eye opening. Right. You kind of look back at that one little place that we live. So I think that access to space is right around the corner. I think we're, we're not even talking five years.
0: Wow, this is so great. I could go all day, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to have to bring this to a close. Brent Arsenault, founder, CEO of 9.8 Capital and founder of Space Ventures. This was truly fascinating. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Brent, and be very well. Take good care and stay safe. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm looking forward to be invited back next year.
0: Oh, count on <laughs> it. Take care. Thanks Cheers. a bunch. Be well, everyone. Thanks a bunch and enjoy the rest of uh, Space Waves, our virtual summit. Be well.